You're listening to the Living Leadership Podcast, growing disciple-making leaders. Hello, my name is Paul Coulter, and in this episode of the Living Leadership Podcast, I want to explore the nature of pastoral care, and especially what distinguishes pastoral care from care more broadly. Now, pastoral care is one of those terms that originated in the church, but has extended into wider society, largely through the influence of Christianity. So you'll find it in schools and in many workplaces where it's used to describe support that's made available to people with personal challenges as they seek to study and to do their work. And that's a really good thing. It's great that employers and educators are recognizing those personal needs and wanting to have a supportive environment. But as we'll see, that's not what Christian pastoral care has historically been understood to be, nor what it ought to be. So we want to move towards the definition of pastoral care, but definitions are tricky. To the postmodern ear, they sound like attempts to control and restrict whereas to others they feel like the equivalent of a, a grainy photograph of a special event incapable of capturing the experiential essence of what they claim to describe. And pastoral care, I think, is an especially difficult concept to define. As Stephen Pallison writes, we might be tempted to say, I don't know what pastoral care is, but I recognise it when I see it. But without any definition, we run the risk of confusion and distraction in our motivation, our methods and our means. So let's think about the two parts of the phrase pastoral care. The word care might seem fairly simple. A dictionary definition might be the provision of what's necessary for the health, welfare, maintenance and protection of someone or something. So when we care for others, we're seeking to provide for their health. But that only raises another question, doesn't it? What is health? And it's only with a clear vision of what it means to be healthy that we can recognise when people are in need and we can help them to find healing. Indeed, the word care doesn't quite capture the fullness of what this means. Care tends to mean supporting people, but health includes cure of diseases, doesn't it? it? Includes healing. And so a little dig into the history of, of pastoral care might help us along. One of the earliest phrases, or certainly early phrases, to describe pastoral care was the Latin cura animarum. And that's commonly translated as care of souls or soul care. But there is an alternative way to translate it because the Latin word cura gives us two English words care and cure. So cura animarum could equally be translated cure of souls and in fact that used to be the, the dominant way that it was translated. So that suggests something more than just caring, more than just providing for needs. It also implies working in the illnesses that afflict the soul and helping people towards health. And the idea of cura animarum included both of these aspects that the, the two were together it didn't have to be an either or so cura animarum was both helping people to make progress in their faith dealing with the blockages dealing with the sins and uh, and and soul diseases if you like but also sustaining them so providing for for practical needs encouraging and uh, and listening and 
uh, and creating a, a relational environment where people can carry on. It's both curative and sustaining. It's a rich, holistic concept. Even the focus on the soul shouldn't be read as a neglect of the physical in favour of the spiritual. It might give priority to the soul and to the eternal destiny of a person, but good soul care deals with people holistically in all of their needs, physical, mental, emotional, social, spiritual, and any others you can add to the list. So we're unlikely, I think, to substitute the phrase pastoral cure in place of pastoral care, but we don't need to do that either. But, but we do need to make sure that our idea of pastoral care isn't reduced simply to providing support for people in need. We've also got to know what health is and how to help people find healing. And there's no such thing, therefore, as value-free care, although that might be the way things tend to be presented. You know, we just listen and we let you find healing within yourself. A carer always brings values into what they do, because to care for others inevitably entails making judgments about the needs that they describe, helping them to disentangle them, and perhaps even to recognise other needs that they didn't know they had needs that might be more fundamental than the ones they were aware of. And it also means guiding them towards healing. Even if we say we just listen and help people find the resources inside themselves, that implies that we believe that people have those resources internally, doesn't it? But of course, a Christian vision of, of need and of health doesn't say that because it recognises our need of God. And even saying that we're guiding people towards healing, of course, implies that it's more than just listening. Even if we're committed to a person-centered approach to letting the person set the pace and the agenda for discussion and uh, to, to helping them find strength in themselves, they wouldn't be coming to us as a, a counselor or carer if we weren't in some sense guiding them through that process. And so when we think about guiding, that drives us to think about the other word in pastoral care, the word pastoral. And pastoral, again, derives from a, a Latin word, the Latin word for a shepherd. And it captures an image that has rich biblical roots, but that probably is quite foreign to modern urban dwellers and, and even to modern sheep farmers. The shepherd in the ancient Near East, as you may well know, didn't leave the sheep out in the hills unattended at night, as shepherds do in the UK. The presence of bears and wolves and perhaps other wild animals prohibited that. But nor did he round them up with a sheepdog or a quad bike. He, he knew them by name. He led them with his voice. They knew his voice and he protected them at a risk to his own life. He didn't have a vet to call on, so he had to learn to bind their wounds and to, to tend to their sicknesses. He was involved sacrificially and intimately with the particularities of their lives. And that imagery, of course, develops in scripture for the leaders of God's people, for kings in Israel, to the pastors of the church. But its roots, really biblically, are in the fact of God as the shepherd of his people. And that's declared by the aging patriarch Jacob at the end of Genesis as he leant on his staff. He calls Yahweh the shepherd of Israel. 
God had been his shepherd individually, he being Jacob, who was renamed Israel. Through the twists and turns of his life, God had guided, protected and brought healing to him. But God would also, he trusted, be the shepherd of the nation that would descend from him, bearing his God-given name. And that fact comes through in the Psalms. Psalm 100 describes Israel as the sheep of God's pasture. Well, Psalm 23, of course, most famously, describes the personal attention of God to David, who too was called to shepherd God's people. And it's into this frame that Jesus stepped when he declared himself in John 10 to be the good shepherd. He's the one that Psalm 23 describes. So when we speak of care that's pastoral, we, we need to think in these terms. Our calling is to shepherd others as under-shepherds of the true shepherd of their souls. And that doesn't mean treating them like mindless sheep, and it certainly shouldn't be a cover for domineering. The good shepherd doesn't make herself fat on the sheep, but lays down her life for them. When Jesus said he was the good shepherd, it echoes back to Ezekiel. 34, which describes the, uh, the, the shepherds of Israel who had, had feasted on the sheep, had neglected them and worse still made themselves fat at their expense. It's a real danger even in Christian ministry, isn't it? But it does mean, therefore, an investment of ourselves in the well-being of others that goes beyond the occasional visit or appointment or just the ministry of the pulpit. Above all, pastoral care recognises that our motivation, our methods and our means must reflect the, the triune God who is the shepherd of, of his people. So let's think about the three persons of the Trinity in relation to motivation, methods and means. Thinking first of the Father, we cannot be Christian pastoral carers without being godly or godlike. We must test our motivation. Hunger for power and personal gain are unworthy. But of course, in reality, our motivations are almost always a mixture of self-seeking and selflessness. And we have to be honest about that with ourselves, with others that we're accountable to, but most importantly, with God. And we have to model and encourage greater faith in God rather than dependence on ourselves. From the Father's character as the shepherd, we understand our role to be guiding, nourishing, restoring, healing, challenging, and protecting those within our care. God as shepherd carries the rod and the staff to comfort and to direct, to correct, and to protect. So we need to know the sheep. And we need to demonstrate to them how precious they are as individuals. And we have to seek to grow in God's character as we care for others so that we can shepherd as he does. Remember, the Father helps us to put our own role into perspective. It's commonplace to speak of empathy as a desirable quality in care. Uh, and if by empathy we mean a commitment to listen carefully, to understand deeply and to feel with the other person in their struggles, then that is all well and good. But we mustn't forget that it's only God who can really enter into the interior world of a person. To feel completely and authentically with them in their situation, 
because only he has complete knowledge and wisdom. We don't have that. And because Christ experienced every temptation, we, even if we've experienced something like what the person is going through, can't say we've experienced exactly the same thing. And we're not exactly the same person anyway. And because the Holy Spirit indwells the believer. So, so God has complete knowledge and wisdom. The, the Son has complete experience and the Spirit has complete insight. And that knowledge can be hugely helpful for the suffering person as we tell them it and remind them of it. But it can also be helpful for us as we care for others because we can point people to God rather than encouraging or allowing dependence on us. So a bad, better word to describe the attitude we need better than empathy is perhaps compassion. Empathy can overwhelm us and it can misguide us. If you become paralyzed because of somebody else's suffering, because you too are now burdened with it as if it was your own, then you're unable to help them. But compassion is, is a, a response of caring and a feeling that doesn't overwhelm, that retains the resource to help, which is what the person needs. And as Henri Nouwen wrote, it, compassion is able to avoid the distance of pity as well as the exclusiveness of sympathy. So if pity on one hand is distant, it just looks on and says, oh, that's, that's a shame, but doesn't feel. And sympathy is too exclusive and, and binds ourselves up with the person so that we perhaps uh, get overwhelmed or, or perhaps become, begin to show favoritism or neglect the need to challenge the person because we just feel for them in their need. So we need compassion. And compassion also guards us against superiority, guards us against the thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought. As now and again wrote, through compassion, it's possible to recognize that the craving for love that men feel resides also in our own hearts, that the cruelty that the world knows all too well is rooted in our own impulses. Through compassion, we also sense our hope for forgiveness in our friends' eyes and our hatred in their bitter mouths. When they kill, we know that we could have done it. When they give life, we know that we can do the same. For a compassionate man, nothing human is alien. No joy and no sorrow, no way of living and no way of dying. Compassion allows us to come alongside people and to begin to connect their experience with the gospel and with the love and the truth of God. So we are, as Nouwen famously described us, wounded healers. We come with our own wounds. But we learn from the Father how to love others sincerely and in humility. And then thinking secondly of the person of Jesus, we can think of the method of pastoral care. Because in him we encounter the ultimate example of entering into the lives of others. The incarnation teaches us to walk with people in a self-emptying way, laying aside our own needs and desires. We allow them to know us. And like Jesus, we sacrificially accompany them in the painful and dark times of life, entering those experiences with them rather than urging them on from the sidelines. Eugene Peterson wrote that pastoral work is an assignment to share the experiences of suffering. And he reminds us 
I find this really powerful that writing cheerful graffiti on the rocks in the valley of deep shadows is no substitute for companionship with the person who must walk in the darkness. In Psalm 23, in the valley of the shadow of death, God was not just putting little messages along the way. He was with us and we must be with others. We don't simply preach to them from a distance or send them text messages or cards, helpful as those things might be. We get with them. Pastoral care is hard and sacrificial work. Henri now and again reminds us that this kind of care for others carries the risk of becoming hurt, wounded or even destroyed in the process. You can't care for others without making yourself vulnerable. And elsewhere now and describes that kind of self-giving care in these terms. He says, after all has been said and done, what we have to offer is our authentic selves in relationship to others. What matters most what transforms is the influence of a humble, vulnerable witness to the truth. Humility and vulnerability were embodied by Christ in his ministry. And unlike him, we are imperfect, but like him, we share humanity with its experiences of weakness and temptation with those that we care for. A pastoral carer doesn't pretend to have every answer or to be free from struggles. But he does seek to bear witness to the presence and lordship of Christ in each situation. We must not care for others because we enjoy their dependence on us, but because the love of Christ compels us. We may be shepherds, but there is only one chief shepherd and the flock belongs to him. And the pastoral carer understands herself to be a servant of Christ for the sake of others. She's profoundly motivated by the example of Christ who said, I am among you as one who serves. Luke 22 verse 27. And she points people to the one who says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. And thirdly, we can think about the role of the Spirit. Now, if the Father and the Son are explicitly described as shepherds in Scripture, you might think the Spirit isn't really, but, but the Spirit is involved, isn't he, in pastoral care? Our goal in pastoral care should be the goal that he leads people to, the goal of Christ-like maturity. And we need to realize and recognize where our work ends and the work of the Spirit takes over. We need to recognize that, that it's not through us, ultimately, that, that real life change will happen, but by him. We are called to be helpers, perhaps even counselors, but he is the helper or the counselor, like Jesus, as Jesus called him in John fourteen sixteen. We can teach truth and call for repentance, but only he can enlighten the heart and make God's word internal to the person's life, bringing growth. Just read Second Corinthians 4 verse 6. We pray with and for the individual that God's will might be done, but he intercedes according to God's will. Romans 8, 26 to 27 tells us. We speak words of encouragement and remind of God's love, but he pours God's love into their hearts so that their hope in God becomes real in their experience. Romans 5 verse 5. So the Spirit has a goal for the people you care for. He wants to lead them to maturity in Christ, promoting their growth in faith, love and hope. 
we're powerless to change people. And when we realize that, we can often get discouraged and frustrated in the realities of pastoral ministry. But he is powerful, giving us a cause for hope and perseverance and allowing us to down tools at the end of a busy day to pull back and say, I have done what God has led me to do. But the change that really needs to happen needs to happen between this person and him. I'm not responsible for it. I shouldn't carry that burden and I shouldn't believe that I am the saviour, but acknowledge that Christ is. We have to aim to help people recognise the Spirit's leading in their situation amongst all of the various voices that crowd in. Memories of how they were parented, memories of how they were educated, what teachers and parents said to them, the messages of popular culture and the subtle lies of Satan. And in the confusion of their emotions, we need to help them hear his voice. And that, of course, means helping them to know and understand, trust and obey the scriptures through which he speaks and in which he has spoken and to discern his leading. The word of God, the sword of the spirit, tests our thoughts and it directs our emotions towards their proper goal, which is God himself. It points the way along which the spirit will lead us to our father. A shepherd doesn't simply care by walking with the sheep, but by warning them of danger, showing them what makes for good food. And so our great resource as we care for others and as we counsel them and guide them is the gospel and the scriptures. We come alongside them and we accept them as they are. Yes, we begin there, but then we seek to learn with them what God's word says to their struggles and their situation in order to point them to greater faithfulness. We feed the sheep with the word of God and we trust that the spirit of God will apply his truth to their lives. Now, there's so much more that we could say about all of this, isn't there? And that's why in Living Leadership, we're developing a course that we're calling Gospel Shaped Pastoral Care. The first um, instance of that course is going to begin on the first Monday in February of 2020. Monday the 3rd of February and for those of you over uh, in England or Scotland or Wales I'm sorry but the course is going to be running for this first time in Northern Ireland in Lisburn I'd really appreciate your prayers as I lead through that with the help of some other teachers but we're really going to explore this over a course of 16 weeks and we hope in future to make that material available in uh, printed form and in video form online. Uh, and also, of course, we're really happy to come in person and help you to develop your skills and your wisdom and your heart for pastoral care. And also to help you develop teams in your churches in order to do that. That's something that we, we would just love to do if you want to get in touch with us through our website, livingleadership.org. But let's just finish off this episode of the podcast as we come to a conclusion. In summary, care needs to be pastoral and it's only pastoral if its motivation, its methods and its means reflect the shepherding work of the triune gods. Care includes cure and pastoral care and pastoral cure means the work that God, the shepherd, will do in the life of the person to bring them into Christ-likeness and into loving and trusting relationship with himself. 
And he does that through us and through the community of his people, not just through individual pastors and elders or pastoral carers, but also through the, 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 the web of relationships in the community of the church. But there is no authentic pastoral care outside of godly, Christ-like and spirit-led care. And so we can define pastoral care finally as people motivated by the Father's compassion, helping people in need to know the abundant life given by Christ, the Good Shepherd, through the comforting and transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Christian pastoral care emerges from a heart that is open in relation to the indwelling presence of the pastoral God and it proceeds by guiding people towards the goal of faith in God and obedience to his word as the Spirit empowers them. All true Christian pastoral care leads people to greater trust in, love for and obedient service to God, the one true shepherd. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Living Leadership Podcast. For more about Living Leadership, to connect with us, to give, or to sign up for regular prayer news, please visit livingleadership.org. Blessings.